On this week's edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast, we'll try and figure out why there's no MSL anywhere to watch. The Mayhem out west will hopefully calm down. The Tombarelli nominees are out. Miles Jones has been traded. The Goldstein group is welcomed into the National Lacrosse League. And just when you thought it was safe to play Peterborough, John Grant Jr. is back. All this week on OTCB. Cross fans and welcome to another edition of OTCB here on SoundCloud. Uh, my name is Teddy Jenner. Welcome back. Kind of weird without the National Lacrosse League to be played. Now we just get to enjoy a lot of summer lacrosse and the chaos that is inevitable whenever the MSL, the WLA, the BCLA, the OLA, the RMLL, the Atlantics, the Prairies, whenever summer lacrosse is on, you're bound, bound every year to have some sort of drama. And this year's both sides in the senior loop, there's already some drama of some sort, no matter how you look at it. And it just makes for things a little bit more interesting when you, especially when you are a podcast host and a weekly contributor to a website that just allows you to write great things. And write about great things, too. Um, if you want to get a hold of me here at the show, you can at Off the Crossbar on Twitter. Or you can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Uh, mentioned uh, a few things off the top, as we often do. Um, if you might have been thinking who the heck Miles Jones is, you obviously don't watch NCAA or MLL. He was a two-time Towardson Award finalist. Uh, he went to Duke. He is one of the baddest mans I've ever seen play field lacrosse. And inexplicably, I guess, to just to, to an outsider, uh, he was traded from the expansion Atlanta Blaze to the Chesapeake Bayhawks um, for another player and a first-rounder, and along with Miles Jones went a second-round draft pick. Um, but it's just a, a weird thought process to, to see, you know, a first-overall pick get traded two games into a season. I was reading uh, um, uh, an article um, on Lax Magazine, uh, or Lacrosse Magazine, sorry, and it said, you know, he had been underperforming. He'd only had, like, I think three points or something like that in his first two games. So? That's okay. Like, he's Miles freaking Jones. Like, if you're an expansion team and you get one of the hottest products out of the NCAAs, and he went to school in the area-ish. North Carolina is right by Atlanta, for the most part. People are familiar with him. I don't know why you trade him. Um, just interesting, crazy things that happen in the lacrosse world. Um, but I guess I never really, really thought I'd see John Grant Jr. get traded. Uh, that was always one that scratched my head, but it worked. kind of worked out for a lot of people in the end. I know Rochester fans were real thankful for it, so... Just it, it's like I said, it's it's interesting. It's interesting to watch um, an expansion team trade away their first overall pick. But as, as you're gonna find out, uh, as we kind of digress through the first little part part of this show, there's a lot of 
weird things that go on in the lacrosse world that not a lot of people have answers for. Um, no guest this week. Uh, I apologize. Uh, I will be honest with you because usually I am. I was on a very, very intense three-day golf trip last week, and it's still kind of taking the toll out of me, so I'm just going to kind of roll with it today. Um, we hope to have Commissioner Nick Sakevich on in the coming weeks. Uh, there is some great news coming out of the National Lacrosse League. Uh, we'll talk about the Goldstein Group uh, in a little bit. Um, and the new people that the commissioner is bringing in are people he's familiar with. And so uh, we've, we're efforting to get him on. And like I said, hopefully we'll have CNS join us next week and maybe we can get him, get him to open up about some things as we work here into the offseason. Um, you know, the, the hot topic of the offseason is going to be expansion for, for the most part. Um, you know, we'd love to see, you know, TV deals and all that stuff. We, we just have to wait. Um, you know, if, if there was a hope, it was that, you know, in a month or two, uh, once the summer really gets going, maybe in July, that the National Lacrosse League will announce some new franchises. Um, so maybe we can get Nick to uh, delve a little deeper because, you know, he's, he's playing it close to his chest right now. He's not divulging any information. He wants to keep everything a secret. Well, not a secret. He just wants to make sure all his ducks in the row before anything gets leaked out, and I'm cool with that. Um, but maybe we can kind of get him to break things down because there, there are tons of possibilities. Tons. Like... This league could literally, like, after the success of the Russian Saskatoon, this league could go anywhere. It truly could. And there have been mentions of really big markets. There's been mentions of some smaller markets. And for those of you who are asking, I really don't think Victoria, BC will ever get a pro team. As much as I would love it, um, one big reason um, getting here, you know, for those of you who don't know, uh, Victoria, B.C. is the capital of British Columbia, and it's on an island. Um, and our airport's not the biggest. It's growing. It's international. We go to Seattle and Hawaii, stuff like that. Palm Springs, I think, once a day. Toronto, that's not international, but I'm, I'm just trying to get you an idea of, you know, the, the logistics of getting a team, a professional lacrosse team, over here with all the equipment, and all the personnel, it's, it would be really tough for teams to have to charter a flight because you'd have to have your own plane pretty much unless you can find a way to get on those direct flights from Toronto. But you're not, you know, it's going to be tough for the Calgary Roughnecks to book an entire plane all the, to themselves to get here. And sure, guys aren't all coming from one area, but it's, it's a tough thing to do. Those flights aren't cheap. So... Victoria would be a great market. I think the NLL would do really well here. Um, they would have to play downtown. They couldn't play at Bear Mountain Arena. Um, they would, Sorry, the Q Center. First time I've done that in a while. Um, they would have to play downtown at Save on Foods just for capacity-wise. Unless, you know, Jim Hartshorn, the owner of the Victoria Shamrocks, gets his wish. Um, and along with the mayor, they can build their own stadium. Uh, out in the West Shore, out in Langford there. And, and if that happens, then maybe. Maybe they'd play out there. But uh, I digress. So like I said, we're, we're working to get 
the commissioner on next week, so uh, maybe he can answer some more questions, and, and we'll really delve into his first year, what he liked, what he didn't like, and all those questions that pretty much everyone asks him all the time, but I'll ask him this time, and maybe he'll give us more. So, as you know, I call Victoria Shamrock games out west. Um, Jake Elliott calls Langley Thunder games. Brad Chowner calls games in the swamp for the Burnaby Lakers. Um, Brandon Astle calls games in New West. WLA games are on the intrawebs. There's one tonight. It's Tuesday. There's one tonight. Coquitlam at Burnaby. You'll hear Brad's dulcet tones calling the game. Playfullscreen.com. It's awesome. It's a great service. Um, it's pretty good. It's it's good quality. It's good quality. Um, there are issues, obviously. You know, not every arena has um, the setup that the LEC does with their whole production booth. Uh, not every arena is set up like Victoria, where we have a production crew coming in and working the games with two different cameras and a producer and replays and overlays and commercials and all that stuff. Like, every arena is different. Some arenas can't put the score up. Some arenas can't put penalty times up. Some arenas have the wrong teams playing. But games are being produced, and fans are able to watch them from all over the world. So you may be saying to yourself, yeah, so what? We love it. Of course you love it. I love it. What I don't love is that I can't watch major series games. And it's frustrating to a point where I'm almost furious because if you're going to help expand the notoriety and expand the growth and expand, um, you know, the digital platform to steal a word from Nick Sakevich. You have to get your games out there. And I know, you know, Peterborough has Kojiko and, and Oshawa has Rogers and, and Oakville ha- can get some games out on local TV. And it's not, that's something that we don't have out here in BC. Whereas the GTA area, greater Toronto area, all their little sub markets, um, a lot of them have their own, Local cable company. Like we have Shaw Cable, but it's been ages since they've really shown an interest in the WLA. They often show, like the local island Shaw has often shown Shamrock Timberman games, but like they'll show maybe one or two a year, and it's generally on tape delay. But I just don't know why the major series lacrosse has this anti-view and... and haven't worked towards an agreement to get all their games broadcast. Like Stamper and JVI and those guys did an incredible job covering the game out east. And they worked their tails off. And they put out a really good product. And they were doing, you know, Skype interviews and they were doing pregame interviews and highlights. and re- Same thing we do out here, you know, at the LEC or, or in Victoria. But they were the only group, and they were pretty much going to most rinks. You know, they would pick, like, if there was maybe two games a night, they'd maybe pick the one game that really people wanted to see. But they were at most games, going all around Toronto, providing web streams. And it's just not there anymore. 
It, it just seems like people aren't really interested in putting the effort in. And I talked to Stamper about it, and he's just as confused as I am, and he's right in the heart of all that. And it just sounds like people out east would rather focus on making money with their lacrosse clubs and seeing their clubs successful on the floor than giving their fans a way to watch their team play when they can't get to the rink. Or for the fans out west, or for the fans in Saskatoon, or for the fans in New Mexico, or the fans in Australia, wherever. Like, you're not helping the notoriety of your league, and you have some of the best, if not the best players, in all of lacrosse playing there. Why wouldn't you want to get that exposure? It it can't be hard. Like, I watched, and I know some of these setups in BC aren't the greatest, But you got to do something. Have someone there doing a periscope of the game with a handheld microphone. Put it on YouTube. Like JVI is putting even putting out um, replays uh, on Twitter and stuff like that, and plays of the game. And hey, look at this! But they can't. They're not streaming the game. It just makes no sense. Stamper told me that some of the arenas don't even have Wi-Fi. It's 2016. My dad has Wi-Fi. Just makes no sense to me. There's got to be a way. There has to be a way because, and this is something they're trying to work towards, like come playoff time, come Man Cup. If there is no, like this is going to dark ages times. Not dark ages, I'm talking like early 90s. When... You had to wait for someone to report the score to the radio station. At least now we have Twitter. Heck, people could probably live Facebook the game now. It just doesn't make sense to me how the MSL can't get their heads around getting their games streamed live. I don't want to say this. I don't like saying this. There's got to be a change of blood in a lot of these leagues to get people who understand that this isn't the 90s or the 70s or the 50s anymore. It is 2016. It is a new era. It is a technological era. It is a hands-on-keyboards era. It is an eyes-on computer screen era. It is imperative for the survival of any league, especially when you're competing with everything else that's going on, especially when you're competing in the summer, when a lot of the rinks don't have air conditioning and people don't really want to be inside them, east or west or Alberta or anywhere. You have to do a better job of getting your product out there. We have to do a better job of getting our product out there. As a collective whole, we need to be better. The WLA is working towards that, as I mentioned. 
uh, you know, all the games, uh, Playful Screen does a fantastic job. Um, again, it, it, it can get better. Like, I would love to see every WLA team be able to provide or Playful Screen. And, and this is and this is a big issue, is that who's responsible for finding the people to broadcast the games, to produce the games, to film the games? Is it Playful Screen? It is for parts of it. Like, they provide camera guys. League doesn't provide them. Teams don't provide those. And, you know, we as broadcasters don't get WLA checks. We get playful screen checks. We have to find a way to make sure that every product is the same. Like, if in BC we're going to be able to do this, if we are going to provide web streams of every game, great. It's what we should be doing. And if we're going to charge people $8 to watch games, fine. But you can't just charge them $8 and let them watch a game where the announcer doesn't even know to turn his microphone on. Or watch a game that doesn't have a score overlay. Or for heaven forbid, say the proper team's playing. Like, every arena or every game should have a camera guy or two a guy doing play-by-play, and a producer. Like, Brad Challoner shouldn't have to be the guy updating the scores every time there's a goal in Burnaby. So, uh, like I said, the WLA can get better that way. They are doing um, all that they can to get the crap out of the WLA, out of the game of lacrosse, and of course, you know, if you've been following me on Twitter and you were listening to the show last week, I talked a little bit about everything that went on with the Maple Ridge Brards and the saga continued all the way into this week. Well, actually went to Sunday because that's when the surety bond for 25K had to be in. It's been uh, reported and I can confirm that both sides uh, came to an agreement, the Brards and the rest of the Board of Governors. Um, they came to agreement on what the amount would be they came to agreement on a few other things. Now, those details weren't released. Um, they didn't put them out in the public sector. They want that stuff to be all, you know, behind closed doors and just between the Board of Governors. If you want to handle it that way, cool. You want to keep things secret, fine. There are ways for people to find that information. And that information will probably eventually get out somehow. But the WLA, WLA is now focused on moving forward. I'm cool with that. But since that game in Maple Ridge on the 29th, there have been 13, sorry, there have been 11 games. There have been 11 games since the March 29th game where the Amesbury incident happened that stemmed all of this. In the 11 games since, there have been 13 five-minute majors and 14 10-minute game misconducts. Essentially, averaging one a game for each. Now, I'm not saying all are deserving to have the book thrown at them. Um, I'm not saying that, you know, any team is worse than any other. But what I'm saying is it's not just one team who's the bad apple. Does Maple Ridge have a pass going back, you know, three years? Sure they do. Victoria does. Coquitlam does. Langley does. Hell, Brody McDonald, the Langley goalie, lost his mind and went mental Friday night at the Q Center. 
Here comes McCullough. McCullough down the right side. He's got space. Steps across, scores! Oh ho! They're gonna whack after the fact just for good measure. Langley goalie just threw the ball out into this crowd. And he just uh, And got he's it. just been ejected for it. Yeah. And just smashing his stick up. He's not showing a whole lot of control here. Um, no, he didn't. Uh, it was a bit of a spectacle, I guess you could say, but um, Brody's always been uh, one to wear his emotions on his sleeve. Um, it wasn't a pretty sight, but if the WLA wants to get that stuff of Brody or of Daniel Amesbury out of the game, you know, we need this is just another example. Like, that is a temper tantrum, for lack of a better term. You know, I understand. Brody's pissed off. Their team was down 10 goals. It's the end of the game. They had to play the next night in Nanaimo. The team's struggling out of the gate. They haven't won yet. Or they hadn't won yet. But you can't punish a team like you did to Maple Ridge and then not do anything to Brody McDonald. And it just confused me, and it still does, as why only one team was focused on and why not everybody had to put in a surety bond or front some money. And I would like for them to look into that next year. If this is the way they want to go, if they, you know, if this is how they want it to happen, then you know what? Next year, everybody puts up X amount of dollars. And again, I don't know where you draw the line, um, but I know they just want to move forward. Fine, let's move forward. But as I just said, since that game, there's been 27 five or 10 minute misconduct or five minute majors or 10 minute misconducts called in 11 games. So, as mentioned, there is a game Tuesday night. Uh, Coquitlam at Burnaby. And there are uh, even more games this week. Some really good games, ones that will be quite interesting as well. Again, playfullscreen.com is where you can watch them all. And, yes, let's all just get back to playing and focusing on lacrosse, and we can do that. I'm, like I said, super cool with that. Uh, If the WA has put this issue to rest and they feel like they have, then so be it. We can move on. Maple Ridge, still the number one team in the WLA. 5-1-1. 5-1-1. One, one. First loss came Sunday night to the Victoria Shamrocks, who sit in second place at 5-2. and two. Uh, Coquitlam, surprisingly, 3-2. and two. Uh, Six points sitting in third. New West is in fourth with a 2-3-1 record, followed by Burnaby at four points. Nanaimo and Langley bring up the rear with two points apiece. Langley picking up their first win on Saturday when they did the Island Double Dip and took on Victoria. And then Nanaimo. Um, just for comparison's sake, out east, um, most teams have played five games. Brooklyn leads the way with a 3-1-1 record for seven points. And there's three teams tied um, at six points. Peterborough is 3-1. Six Nations is 3-1. Oakville's 3-2. Then Brampton, 1-4. And, and the transferred Coburg Kodiaks are at 0-4. Which is kind of interesting because... Um, 
can't remember who I talked to, but somebody said Kohlberg was going to be really good. Mm. Not after the greatest of starts. Um, speaking of the Peterborough Lakers, John Grant Jr. is coming back. And I think for all that he's been through, I, I truly believe that this will be his swan song. And that's what it sounds like. Um, the article in the Peterborough Examiner um, has pretty much confirmed that John Grant will be back for this season. Uh, he is going to be a pretty Peterborough Laker, and as it says, for one final season. And he wants to win a Man Cup back home. He wants to win in, in his hometown and the team that he's always played for and he's grown up playing for. Despite, you know, a few years out in Coquitlam. And I think it's awesome for Junior. Uh, it, it's going to be, you know, a year uh, of heavy travel because he'll have MSL. He lives in Colorado. Uh, he'll also be playing for the Outlaws. Um, he's got to do some off-season work for Valor Christian where he teaches and, and runs a lacrosse, or sorry, where he coaches and runs a lacrosse program. So it's going to be a busy summer for him, but... Junior's been doing it probably longer than most guys playing both indoor and outdoor. So uh, one final kick at the can for John Grant will be um, a very emotional one. Uh, it's going to take a lot of toll on his body one final year playing summer ball out east. But it begs the question, does he have another year in Denver? And I would imagine so. Uh, but after the way this year ended for Denver, it had to have been a very gut-wrenching, heartbreaking way for his 2016 season to come to a close. But I think, I think, it just sounds like he might just do one big tour. A summer season, prepare for the winter season, and then do... Uh, an NLL send-off where I think every team should honor him at some point, some way, shape, or form. And, of course, if he does decide that he's done in, in the National Cross League, uh, he will be remembered um, for years and years and years and years and years to come. And nobody scores better highlight real goals or more highlight real goals in their career than John Grant. Maybe for Curtis Dixon, who unfortunately... Um, it was announced late last week that he would probably and most likely miss much of the season, if not all of the season, with a sports hernia. On Twitter, he said he was seeing specialists again and was waiting some results. So we're, we're wishing for the best for Superman, and it's, um, it's a tough go. Uh, I know, I remember when Andy Turner went through that and he had it it wasn't um, an easy process so and you know it was you know he just had to take the time to repair it and heal it and if he's going to miss the summer season that's a real tough break for the Peterborough Lakers uh, it's a tough break for lacrosse fans everywhere because not being able to see him do what he does night in and night out is just a shame um, but we do wish him all of the best and we hope that he is back Soon, So uh, Curtis Dixon isn't going to play, but John Grant Jr. is. So uh, you lose one superstar and you gain a future Hall of Famer. Uh, it's not a bad trade-off, if you ask me.
back to the NLL where there was um, some pretty significant news released by the NLL yesterday. And it was that the National Lacrosse League has partnered up with the Brownstein Group, a group, a brand communication group out of Philadelphia, as its agency of record is how they're listing it. Um, they'll partner with the league's internal marketing and public relations group, um, executing integrated campaigns designed to increase brand awareness and enhance how the league communicates with its fans. Now, um, like I said, I, I like this move, but as one fan brought it up on the uh, message boards, the NLL had IMG, who is an actual sports marketing media company. And as an outsider and an insider, I don't think I saw any benefits of that whatsoever. Maybe there were some things that they did behind the scenes that we all didn't know about um, that, I don't know, helped the NLL or maybe conversely didn't help the NLL. But with this move towards the Brownstein group, like I said, a, a group that is Philadelphia-based, uh, an area where Commissioner Nixakevich spent a lot of his time and has really, really deep roots, um, especially since you take in the fact that Ashley Dabb, uh, the new chief marketing officer, uh, she used to be the vice president of marketing communications for the Philadelphia Union where Sakevich worked. So there are ties there. Uh, Kevin Morgan was announced as the chief revenue officer. He'll be responsible for driving revenue growth across the organization, and he brings a resume that is incredible. He's worked for the NHL, the NBA, the NFL. He's done in, He's been working in NASCAR, and they hope that what he does generates a lot of money. And this Brownstein group has already, you know, brought in PR people. Um, they're building a staff. And I was on... Um, lacrosse sports network um actually it was monday talking about this after this news sort of came out and, and i said you know if you were to go to the nll website and you were to look at the nll's front staff you'd have the commissioner the vp of lax ops and brian lemon vp of broadcast services and communication doug fritz the general counselor of Stuart l friedman director of business administrations justin rubio director of business development dan cachetta Media Relations and Social Media Quarter, Jeff Baker, and Director of Stats, Rod Benson. That's it. That's eight people working in the NLL's front staff. And just by adding these two new bodies, the NLL has just increased its front office staff by 20%. And I think this is a good thing for the league because we have to start adding these bodies. We need more people behind the scenes doing things as a professional franchise league would. So I think it's fantastic that this Brownstein group is now a part of the NLL. I truly do believe that we'll start to see more information, more media stuff, um, PR releases sent out and more stories uh, getting out there because that's what everybody needs to realize that this sport doesn't do well enough. We don't highlight our players well enough. 
are, are the stories aren't being told. And you've heard me say that a, a million times. But this was brought out to me by Paul Tutka because, you know, I'm going to talk about um, the Brelli Award uh, that is going to be that, you know, I've been asked to vote for and all media members have been asked to vote on. But we haven't heard hide nor hair of NLL awards and the season's two weeks old. Now, I know the league wanted to, you know, move all that stuff away from the NLL finals to make sure that that stuff didn't get lost in the wash. Cool. But it's been two weeks. And I know they're going to start announcing um, the nominees. And this is what I would love to see them do. And this is exactly what Tutka said. Well, his suggestion was during the playoffs, you should be announcing the three like they've done in the past. Announce the three nominees for each award. And then they would do the, you know, the award ceremony in September. But if you're going to announce the awards, awards, nominees, then you need to go, you know, over the summer when it's your off season and there's not a lot of clicks on your website, you need to be pumping out material and you need to be pumping out content of, okay, you know what? This week we're going to focus on the three nominees for transition player of the year, whoever they may be, and do in-depth interviews with them which we're going to try to do here. Once those nominees get out, we're going to try to talk to as many of them as we can. But we need to do a better job of getting those stories out there and and telling the world about these great athletes because Sikevich says it himself. This is one of the most um, underrated, undiscovered, pure talent of sports out there in the entire sporting world. It's a diamond in the rough, and it's all because, largely, because of our players. And we need to get their stories out there. They need to be told. And I think that over the summer, that should be something that the National Cross League does a lot. You know, Bob Chavez and Ty Pilsen and Stamper and myself have all done articles for the PLPA. They, you know, they'll contact us and say, hey, can you do a spotlight on Chris Corbeil? Sure, I'd love to. Have a quick phone call, a few emails, you get an article done. So I think throughout the summer, like I said, when there's not a lot of traffic going on on the league website, um, and hopefully there's going to be because there should be a lot of news coming out, as it seems. But hopefully we start highlighting the nominees whenever they are announced um, and and really showcasing uh, the great things that these guys have accomplished. Uh, One of the other things that was asked to me, on Lack Sportsnet was, um, you know, with this new media group and with this new digital platform that CNS wants to move forward with, um, what was the one thing I would like to see? And I said, no, obviously, I would love to see all games be on TV, national DV, D- TV deals in Canada and the U.S. Like, of course, we all want to see that. The one thing that I want to see the most is highlights and clips and 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 old stories old news articles all those things back to the MILL days the Eagle Pro Box League the early nuances of the NLL when the Ontario Raiders were in the league like can you find me that goal Colin Doyle scored in the old Raiders jersey uh, in in Cops Coliseum where he I think it was an overtime game and he scores it from his backside or his late in the game like that goal doesn't really exist anywhere like, I'm sure somebody has it, 
30 years of the National Lacrosse League. I should be able to go on YouTube and watch 30 years of lacrosse. NFL Films has done an incredible job with profiling and, and categorizing and cataloging and recording the entire history of the NFL. And unfortunately, that doesn't exist in lacrosse. And so that's the one thing that I would, I would love to see. I'd love to bring the, back the old Fight Club website. Remember that? And you could go back and watch some old school fights. Those are really the only things that exist from olden day lacrosse. Or the melees and the fights and the brawls. Bob Hayes has done a nice job on his Facebook page, you know, just transferring old video footage of the WLA days or even some old man cup, you know, um, news stories of, of game recaps and stuff like that. And he's put them on his Facebook page. There's some really cool stuff in there from the old WLA, WLA days when the Victoria Shamrocks were the Payless playing at a Memorial Arena and Art Webster wasn't wearing a mask and Tavares was playing for the Brards and, like, there's a, he has a lot of stuff. And there's all that stuff's out there. Like, it's out there. But not in a collective area, not 30 years worth. So that's the one thing that um, I would really like to see the National Lacrosse League um, make a conscious effort. But again, I, I don't know where you find any of that stuff. Do you go to TSN or, or to Rogers, whoever was broadcasting the games back in the day, say, hey, do you happen to have um, the April 16th, 1998 game between the Raiders and the Bandits from Cops Coliseum? Do you have that? Maybe they do. I, I just don't think they do. So, um, you know, we need to build that library. Because that's how you show the progression of 30 years. And that was the thing, the issue that I had when the NLL announced their top 30 all time. Is that each guy got like four sentences and a stat line. When if it was the NLL, you would have, or the NHL, you'd have quotes from, you know, past coaches, past teammates, guys that they had battles with over the years. They'd have like a highlight clip of their play, anything. But it's just unfortunate the National Lacrosse League and Pro Lacrosse doesn't have those archives. So we need to start building that and building it quick because that's a huge part of growing this game moving forward. Um, finally, as mentioned, this uh, Tom Borelli Award, um, it's uh, a very prestigious award um, because Tom Borelli was such a, a great man for the game. In the NLL, he covered it for years in the buff for the Buffalo Bandits in Buffalo for the Buffalo News, and uh, it's been named after him ever since he passed away. And I think it's a, an incredible, incredible honor. But it just surprised me to find out that only media members actually vote on it, which just seemed odd to me because. As I was looking through the list, and I'm not going to divulge any of the names on the list or anything like that, you know, that's, that's not my place. But if, if I'm looking through the list, and I know most of the people on it from broadcasters and writers, 
But say there's, you know, a, a writer in one of the markets and he doesn't happen to know a, a writer or a broadcaster in another market, how can he vote for him? And, you know, it's we're, we're not a tight writers or, or media circle in the, in the lacrosse world. There's a lot of us that know each other who've been doing this for a long time and have built relationships and rapports with people um, around the lacrosse world. And that's the whole sort of one of the biggest parts of our job is creating those relationships. But a lot of those relationships are also built with the GMs and coaches and players and governors and owners and presidents and, and the people that are actually on the teams. So it's tough to, and I don't know how to say this properly. Like, it's weird that the general managers, and I always thought they did, that the GMs or governors didn't vote on the Borelli Award and that it's just the media members because how do you vote? Like, I know how I'm, I vote. But it's just like, you know, one general manager told me of NLL awards. It comes down to, you know, if, if, if you're having a tough decision between who to vote for, a lot of jams go for guys in their own division. Or they'll go for their buddies or guys that they know. And I don't mean buddies as, oh, I'm going to pick a guy on my team kind of buddy, but like guys they're familiar with. That was what a GM actually told me. And so if you're having the media members vote on an award and some media members don't even know who people are, like a guy in Georgia may not know who I am. I may not know uh, a writer who's in New England, but they could have been, then, been doing an incredible job covering the New England Black Wolves all year long. So um, it was just a, an interesting little tidbit of information that I got when, when inquiring about these awards and trying to figure out, you know, who was voting on them. Most of the awards uh, will be voted on by the league GMs and governors. And it sounds like the nominees will, for those awards will be coming out soon. So we just kind of have to wait and see. Generally, um, and this is the way they did it last year, um, they just announced the Borelli Award winner straight away. They didn't give three nominees. However, they might do that this year. So, who knows? Um, but voting has started, it would seem like. So, we could be seeing nominees for the plethora of awards in the National Lacrosse League. There is still plenty of lacrosse to be played. Um... BC's Best was here last weekend. There was an incredible turnout of players and coaches looking for the next best thing to come out of BC. Uh, so congratulations to all those kids and, and to Darren Rizek and Chris McKay and everybody who helped put on um, a fantastic effort and a fantastic day. It, it, it's a whirlwind day. I think it was from 9 a.m. to 3. It's like six hours for 30 coaches to watch like 100 or 200 kids and then pair it down to an all-star game. And then have one final matchup. Like an incredible job. Um, the U.S. Boxer team is on their travel tour coming up. They're going to be heading up to Canada. Their U18 team, uh, which according to Shane Santos, is one of their best teams in all of U.S. Boxer. So they're going to be coming up here uh, at the end of June. 
in a few weeks' time to take on some Intermediate A clubs in the Lower Mainland as well as the Victoria Intermediate A Shamrock. So that's going to be late June. Then they go to Calgary, and they'll play in the Canada Day Tournament. Um, they'll send teams up there from Denver Elite and Cali Lax, and the Nationals are in September and, or uh, in August in San Jose. Um, of course, the MLL is going on, and that's just, you know, if you, if you like field across and you like that kind of action, and, you know, it's grown on me. I really like the speed that the MLL is now getting to uh, with the shot clock and just speeding up the game. Again, like I think I said this last week, I just wish I could see it more. Just like I wish I could watch major series lacrosse. I don't understand sometimes, especially ESPN. I don't understand how I can't get watch ESPN up here or ESPNU. Boggles the mind some things. Um, one last thing, and this is super random. Like super random. Um, so if you don't know, um, I record the studio uh, or this podcast uh, at a radio station in Victoria, uh, the Zone 91.3 and the Q.FM. Um, I have been um, friends with many people in this building, so I was able to work out a bit of a deal uh, with them to allow me to use this space. So I come in here every Tuesday, 4 to 6. It's all mine. Jimbo Jangle, all good. Well, I walked in here today, and there's random things. It's a music station production room, so you can just imagine some of the crazy weird things that are in here. Um, Nicholas Cage stares at me from behind all the time. There's a Doors poster. Um, there's like weird stuff everywhere. But there's also, and these are some of my favorite books, Uncle Joe's Absolutely Absorbing Bathroom Reader. It's the 12th edition. Um, if you don't know what these are, and I've had them um, for a long time. I used to have them as a kid. Um, but basically they're just random facts about things all over the world. Things you, you may not, never know or ever need to know. But there's some pretty cool anecdotes and stories in here. Well, so this book was laying on the counter in front of the console when I got here. And I, it was open to a page. And so I just, being the nosy guy that I was, just thought I'd check what it was. And so I opened it up. And the first thing that's at the top of the page of random origins is the jock strap. How could I not, right? All right. So this is the origin of the jock strap according to Bicycle Magazine. Millions of male athletes can thank bicycling and the cobblestone streets of Boston for the trust that protects their masculinity. In 1897, those bumpy Beantown byways got too rough for their nether regions of bike racers. To address this unexpected need, the bike manufacturing company invented the bicycle jock strap, eventually shortened to jock. Random facts here on OTCB. By the way, that could be the new hot summer ticket on this show. I might even try to get a sponsor, make it, make it a whole segment. Every week, random facts from Uncle John's absolutely absorbing bathroom reader, 12th edition. That will do it. Um, again, apologies for no guests. Sometimes I just need time to ramble, and sometimes you come back home from a three-day golf trip, and you're pretty tired for three days. The latter kind of happened this week. Uh, we'll try to have Nick Sakevich next week. I'm also going to try to talk with Matt Brown um, from the University of Denver, who does a lot of work uh, with U.S. Box Love. We're going to try and reach out to Taylor Ray, uh, who is the head coach of the Team Canada U19 team, who just how so happens to be playing 
in BC, more specifically Coquitlam, at the U19 Nationals later this summer. So we're going to try to talk to T-Ray. We're going to try to talk to a lot of people. It's a long summer. Uh, We're going to be here every week, and we look forward to chatting with you about pretty much anything and everything, including bathroom humor. If you want to get a hold of me, you can at Off the Crossbar on Twitter. You can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Uh, thank you for tuning in. And we'll talk to you in a week's time. And as always, be excellent to each other. I'm the man who wants. Woman.